Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Look, I know it's a podcast. I know, I know. But I want to call it a show, okay? I'm putting all of my failed endeavors and hopes and dreams into this podcast. But you know, podcasts, they're a dignified thing now. I think it's i think it's more embarrassing to say you do not have a podcast than you do have a podcast. So, question for all you folks listening out there that don't have a podcast. How about you turn some of that criticism and eye-rolling that you're giving toward me and you turn it back on yourself. That's right. Give yourself an eye roll. Your eyes will roll to the back of your head. People think something's going on, but they'll leave you alone on the bus. There you go. Everyone wins. So in today's episode, I have my friend Tucker Stachitis on, and we are going to talk about energy. It's something I think about very, very seldomly. I just don't think about it. You know, right now we are using energy. You are listening to this show through some sort of energy. We are teaching my daughter, Violet, about how energy works and why she has to eat vegetables and can't just eat patroni aka macaroni every night you're like you get energy from what you eat and what you consume and then that turns into her spitting all over herself and running around the room saying i gotta get my energy out so yeah we're not very good at explaining tucker however really is good at explaining this and uh so he's a friend of mine from college we have a college guys whatsapp thread that just is nonsense but we have affectionately referred to him as tuckbot because uh we will say instead of googling something we say somebody should tuckbot this and that means tucker goes into the weeds and pulls out all the data that nobody cares about so we all have a good laugh he loves it he can't get enough of us calling him tuckbot and um you know just generally belittling him he loves it i think so anyway but he worked on a nuclear submarine which is awesome it's way cooler than anything i've ever done and like i said at the start of this i don't really understand how energy works i believe we should do more green of it um i like the idea of sustainability you know that's about as far as i know i just don't understand it so what i want to talk today about was nuclear energy and nuclear weapons it's a hot topic right now that's not meant to be a pun, but I, I guess I could see how it would be. Uh, but you hear this a lot. Midterms are next week. At the time I'm recording this, and the midterms are next week. So you hear a lot about renewable energy, energy, fossil fuels, all that kind of stuff. Nuclear energy seems to be one of those things that everybody likes the idea of, but they're a little bit afraid of it. And we get into that uh, more in this episode. So this episode is all about the nukes, baby. And I uh, hope you learned something. If you don't learn something in this one, then I'm going to give up because I sure learned a lot. Well, I'm here uh, in the virtual lab with my old college buddy, Tucker Stachitis. How's it going, man? Going well, Jonathan. Good to talk to you today. I know. So uh, last time I saw you in person, I don't remember. I guess it was before we moved to Virginia, obviously. Uh, And you live in Jacksonville, Florida. Which part of Jacksonville are you in? I do in uh, Riverside. And that's, are you a hipster? Is that, that's where you guys all hang out? No, but it might be having its influence on me. We've been here for about three years now. Yeah. So you're not a hipster, but you are woke. And uh, <laughs> you liked yeah. How, how have you liked it? So you grew up in uh, St. John's County. Yes. Yeah. Right. My parents parents have been in Ponte Vedra Beach um, for, I think, over 25 years now. Oh, yeah, wow. Since, since 1998. How do they feel uh, about having a son that's the black sheep of the family <laughs> living in Duval? <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, I think they enjoy it. Uh, my 18-month-old daughter is the six of seven grandchildren i think that's mm-hmm. the order but uh five of them live in philadelphia so they love having uh, my daughter go. and my and my niece is uh in st john's county as well yeah so. it's worth it to the grandparents then to cross the the perilous journey into jacksonville riverside yeah. and there's a song going if if you guys listening don't live in the duval area people in st john's county it's right on the line it's it's i think i've said this before it's like if you watch parks and rec pawnee and eagleton that's kind of <laughs> the same view and i was a proud duvalian um duval and i i did pin the pen the phrase duval for now which i lived up to when i left but yeah. uh it's a great city so um well what we're going to talk about today is nuclear matters and i'm trying to say that word 
properly. We used to have a president who wasn't able to say the word nuclear, you know, nuke, you know. So I now that's in the back of my head is like I'm going to sound like W the whole time, but it's a hard word to say. So Tucker, a little bit uh, about your background. So we met at University of Florida, yeah. and you were doing your undergrad there, and then you went on to do your masters. Or what? What brought you? Like, well, tell us a little bit about your background, and then uh, what makes you. I'm going to call you an expert because on my show, you're an expert. Uh, <laughs> you would not well, call yourself that, but to me, you are. Correct. I would not. That's that's generous of you. I would say I'm a educated enthusiast in that <laughs> I, I did my undergrad at the Naval Academy in mechanical engineering, but I did some research in the effects of dirty bombs, uh, which comes up when you talk about nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Florida for my master's in master's nuclear right. engineering where I did my thesis on uh, nuclear weapons effects modeling. And then that was all leading into uh, serving the Navy as a submarine officer, okay. where I was an operational supervisor for a nuclear power plant uh, on gotcha. the submarine, among other responsibilities. Um, you know, and since then, I've stayed you know, casually informed about the industry and various in uh, issues, but since leaving the Navy in 2016, I haven't formally worked in nuclear power in any way. Okay. But you still know more than I do, so <laughs> it's not hard to do. But uh, so so was the path to working in nuclear stuff in a submarine always clear to you when you started college? Was that what you were heading towards? Or did you, do you, does one stumble into nuclear work? You know, or is it like a trajectory you're on? <laughs> one does not simply walk into nuclear yeah. power. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say it began as the primary direction I wanted to go, uh, submarining and nuclear energy, that is, uh, but certainly explored a lot of other things along the way. Uh, hard to say when I first got interested in it, uh, but when I started at the Naval Academy, I thought I'd, I'd probably do mechanical engineering and, and be mm -hmm. a submarine officer. Thought a lot about, about a lot of other things, uh, but ended up there, and it was it was definitely the right decision for me among the various parts of the service you're exposed to. Gotcha. And again, you're super woke. So the idea of renewable energy, <laughs> I don't know why this joke's so funny. To me. Uh, yeah. So, so, okay. So you've got experience, you worked on a nuclear submarine. What was that like? And what defines a nuclear submarine for those of us who are just light James Bond fans, and maybe we don't know everything that's yeah. going on and every uh, one sure. of those, those uh, movies, what, what <clears throat> makes it a nuclear submarine? Yeah, good question. It's because all of U.S. submarines for a couple decades now are nuclear powered. So that means the the center of the engine room is a nuclear reactor that is generating steam to turn a turbine to drive the propeller and generate electricity. Hmm. Uh, some of our nuclear powered submarines also carry nuclear weapons. Uh, but generally, when you say nuclear submarine, you mean that they are nuclear powered as opposed to the uh, most common alternative is a uh, diesel engine and a battery, uh, which other countries do have today. So uh, a nuclear submarine, uh, is it, uh, do they do like nuclear battleships and stuff as well? Or is it mostly submarines that are because of, is it a safety factor? Is it, how did How did submarines get the nuclear thing? Uh, so you asked a couple questions there. Today, the U.S. Navy only has nuclear-powered submarines and nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. Okay. Uh, once upon a time, we also had a cruiser, uh, but moved away from that for primarily cost considerations because they are expensive. Nuclear-powered mm -hmm. ships are expensive to build and operate. The primary advantage for submarines is sustained power underwater mm. because of you you can't run a diesel uh engine completely submerged um because you, you need oxygen so the primary advantage is basically you have propulsion and power without needing oxygen uh, to to burn in combustion like you do for uh diesel or, or gasoline interesting and is it because of any kind of covert operations you know you don't really want your sub surfacing like can i fill up my tank here in the enemy yeah. territory or 
yeah, or that's, ex- that's exactly it. If you go back and watch uh, you know, World War II submarine movies, uh, there's lots of good ones out there. Mm-hmm. You, there's that classic scene of, of the submarine diving really quickly, really close to the bad guy so it can launch torpedoes. Mm-hmm. That's because World War II era diesel submarines go really, really slow or went really, really slowly underwater and could only stay submerged for a couple days at a time. Mm. Um, so the, the one advantage of having a nuclear powered submarine that where you no longer need oxygen for propulsion, uh, is that you can stay submerged for months on end, wow. assuming that nothing else breaks, uh, and that you can run a lot faster than, uh, diesel submarines can. What, what was the longest you stayed submerged for? Yeah. Just over a hundred days. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. It, it was, uh, so you asked earlier what it's like being on a submarine. It's in that scenario, it's pretty isolating. You are yeah. almost entirely cut off from the outside world, especially socially. Yeah. Wow. Well, it probably prepared you for a life of working at a 40 hour week desk job in a cubicle. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Um, wow. Okay. So, well, the basis of this, uh, episode we're going to talk about is pretty much two parts. Uh, first part, we're going to talk about, uh, nuclear energy uh, and the second part we want to talk about what everyone came here for the nuclear weapons, baby, huh. the sexy stuff. Uh, but so real quick, uh, when you when you bring up nuclear energy, it's one of these things that there's I, at least in my knowledge, you, you would know more. There's not really a common consensus on how we feel about it. Like you would almost think like everyone's in favor of a sustainable thing. Like that's good for people that are environmentalists. It's good for the tech people. Um, but it seems to be there's a lot of fear that comes with it as well because of, you know, things like Chernobyl or just the Cold War and the fact that, you know, what happened in World War II with our two, uh, I guess there were nuclear A-bombs, you know, is that defined as nuclear? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't want some nerd out there, actually, <clears throat> they're not hydrogen and whatever. Um, but yeah. yeah, just the stigma that comes with it. Um, you know, so you had sent me this clip to watch, and I did because I do my research. <laughs> I do my own research. Uh, they're building, they're completing a, a nuclear uh, refinement. Uh, I don't even know what you call uh, it. Power plant. Power plant. Yeah, commercial First power plant. First one in like yeah. 30 years. Is that yeah. right? Yep. And so they're not popping up everywhere. And we grew up in Florida, so, you know, we had some in, um, you know, a couple of them in Florida. But uh, they're not as prevalent as you would think they would be at this point in time. Where, is, do you think that's accurate or is it more like everyone's like, yeah, this is where we need to go? Or is there like that fear factor at play too? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of asking overall, how, you know, how does society, at least in the United States feel about nuclear power? And yeah. is that fair? Yeah. Uh, it is certainly a complicated issue and I can understand you know, th- there are real reasons um, that, you know, people are, are fearful of nuclear power. And, you know, in general, it is easier to fear something you don't understand. And mm-hmm. nuclear power is complicated, for sure. Yeah. Um, and there have certainly been swings in sentiment over the decades tied to the major incidents you've heard about. Um and also the trend of commercial nuclear power in the United States is closely tied to, but different than nuclear power around the world. So the, the plant in, in South Carolina, I sent you the YouTube clip about is the first new commercial power plant in the United States in more than 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been, they are being built around the world, um, more frequently. I think. China has a couple new ones. Um, I'm not sure where else. Uh, but in any case, you you, you also asked about uh, you know clean energy and, and environmental impacts. Um, so for reference, yeah, we haven't built many in the United States in a long time, but they do still produce roughly 20% of our electrical power. I think wow. somewhere okay. somewhere around there. Uh, there's around a hundred plants operating today around the country uh, so it's a substantial part of our energy production so 100 plants and most of those were built before the 30 years ago that's kind of insane it is and uh one of the reasons you know commercial nuclear power is expensive is that it is 
highly regulated by very smart and dedicated professionals. Mm. So uh, many of those plants are now operating beyond their original design lifetime. So maybe they're in their 40th or 50th year and they were only designed for 30 years, but that's because they were certified through an upgrade process to continue operating. Gotcha. So yeah, I, Full, you know, like to be fully honest, I'm I love the idea of like nuclear power. It's great, it's clean, it's sustainable, whatever. I would totally be down with them doing that in New Mexico and not where I live. You know, <laughs> there is that there is that idea when I look at them like, oh, is there any near me? You know, and mm-hmm. I do think it because, like you said, it's that the unknown factor. You use the word nuclear, we associate that with weapons, we associate that with tragedy. But real quick, um, you know, let's break down how how do you how do you make energy and Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had this revelation, like I think even like within two years ago, I'm like, oh, it's just all about turn. You mentioned it earlier, turning these little rotors mm-hmm. and that's what generates. I would think like, I thought nuclear energy was like, somehow it's like powers these batteries and we fuse these things together. And it's, it's like, no, it's, it's just however we turn these cranks. What's that word for it? Uh, the things that generate the energy turbines, turbines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's what it breaks down to. It's like, so whether it's through a dam that powers uh, something, it's turning those turbines, a water's rushing through, it's turning them, and that's, you know, generating power, or it's through fossil fuels, they're burning it, and that heat creates energy that, or that turns those turbines. Uh And so nuclear uh, energy, it's that same concept, but what are you, what's actually going on? They are, it's, is it fission and they're splitting atoms like billions of atoms? Is that what's going on or am I way off? Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. And I think a couple things to highlight first at the outset. So yes, there are some notable nuclear incidents um, in, in world history. I'm sure we'll get more into, but it is, it is fundamentally impossible for a nuclear reactor to explode in the way a nuclear weapon does. Hmm. Bad things can certainly still happen, um, but because of the material in a nuclear reactor core, um, because that material is not concentrated as high as it could be, as high as it is in a nuclear weapon, it cannot detonate the way a nuclear bomb does. So so a bomb is designed to explode, obviously. So it's like all the components are placed together in a way that's going to create the most amount of mass damage, whereas a nuclear reactor they're not set up that way. So if an incident does happen, it's, it's not designed to explode that way. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And it's because of the reaction that you mentioned, all of our, um, power plants today are fission power plants where you're splitting atoms, uh, specifically uranium. And when you mine natural uranium out of the ground, um, the, it's found in two primary isotopes. Uh, isotope is a, is a term for the same element with different nuclear properties. So different uh, neutrons in the nucleus, different number of neutrons for the same number of, of protons. Okay. So uh, I'll try not to get too technical, but happy to go as, as deep but, as you want. Uh, but in any, to, to summarize, uh, a commercial nuclear power plant takes natural or when you're creating the fuel for it, you take natural uranium that is about 0.7% uranium 235, the good stuff for fission and enriches it to five to 7% concentration. But for that reaction to happen fast enough for a bomb, you have to enrich to 95% concentration. Okay. So 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 bad, bad things can still happen in a reactor. Um, but it just can't detonate like a bomb does. So two questions. One, uh, you know, uranium, they dig that stuff out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So so could one stumble upon uranium in the backyard, you know, like Beverly Hillbillies, hmm. eating some food, and, oh, stumble upon some uranium? Or is it, you know, a, a much more consolidated process? And then two, what does it mean to enrich uranium? Uh, so I guess it's, possible to stumble onto a uranium deposit but how often do you stumble onto a, a other mineral deposits like well you don't, i haven't you don't, i haven't been shooting at no food in a while but i'm right. hoping to you you don't typically stumble into a coal mine mm-hmm. um so it, it, that's not something you should be worried about and if you did it, it's not like you would accidentally walk up to it and the radiation would kill you it's just mm-hmm. not 
concentrated or uh, radioactive enough in its natural state for that. So it's to be in a- the ground and we're digging mm-hmm. it out. We have people yeah. that dig it out and refine mm-hmm. it similar to similar to coal then same, same type thing. So, yes. And when I was in grad school, I had, there was this great, uh, we got to experience this great visualization. And one of the challenges of, of nuclear power and weapons is that some of these numbers are so big, it's just hard to conceptualize. Um, so we toured the power plant um, that's roughly in, in the Tampa area, but I forget if it's like an hour north or south or mm-hmm. whatever, that also has a coal plant at the facility. So we were standing outside um, the you know, raised outside on the roof or something of, of part of the nuclear plant. And you could see the coal yard of the coal plant next door and these giant mounds of coal. And our guide said, you know, there's trains coming in multiple times a week to replace those giant piles of coal. And the plant produced the nuclear plant produces the same amount of power and has to be refueled once a year. Partially. Wow. Wow. Like it's just giant, giant differences. You and uh I could send you some good images too, but like, you know, a P uh uranium f- fuel for a power plant like the size of your thumb is equivalent to like four giant barrels of coal. You know, there's wow. just these orders of magnitude difference in energy concentration. And so uh so that's in, that's really interesting. And I get, and again, that's a big push for uh you know nuclear energy. It's so much more long lasting. So to enrich the uranium, is yeah. that a pro? What's that process like? It's there are a couple ways to do it, and it's really hard to do. Most of the methods are based on the slight weight differences between isotopes. So your natural uranium is mostly uranium two thirty eight, uh, so two hundred thirty eight total. Um, particles in the nucleus so protons and neutrons uh versus 0.7 percent you know uh uranium-235 so one of the common methods is called uh, gaseous diffusion so you turn the uranium ore into a gas and uh you can run it through a barrier or there's uh centrifuges that spin it so if you're spinning things at different weights they'll sort of fly out from the middle um, on different paths. So you capture those. Uh, but whatever the particular method is, you might have one machine that's going to get you a minuscule gain in concentration. So then you build a plant with thousands of those machines and you run the process over and over and over again until you get to the concentration mm. you want. Interesting. So, um, so when it comes to, to nuclear energy, uh, you know, they build these refinement... I've I've heard I think according to like the video you sent too is like one of the reasons that they're not popping up everywhere is one it's the public you know not in my backyard type type oh. mentality two they're very expensive to build so it's it's like a big investment for a greater payoff in the future but a lot of people don't want to do that big investment right now right and is and we're just so reliant on coal and gas is is that kind of the holdup or are there is there more factors at play. To your knowledge more, more factors about why we're not building more and building yeah. them faster um <clears throat> cost is certainly a huge factor the reason i think you're starting to see somewhat of a comeback in the u.s is because of uh, climate change advocacy and you know i've seen some headlines that even some groups that have been traditionally opposed to nuclear power are coming around hmm. because it doesn't emit any carbon when it's operating right there's there's no smokestack you're not burning fossil fuels that's a key difference and certainly there's plenty of uh you know, green energy sources that do that you know, wind solar mm-hmm. uh, geothermal the key advantage of nuclear power is that you can reliably produce large um amounts of energy without relying on the weather Mm. um so if you want to have this vision of completely getting rid of fossil fuels in our commercial electrical power production that's a challenge and so you'll hear people talk about okay wind and solar but we need to be able to store that energy in giant battery farms 
that's probably viable someday. I know there's a lot of research going in there, but what you can do with a nuclear power plant is build it. Yes, it's expensive and it takes a long time today, but once it's running, it's going to run all the time, Hmm. all year, uh, you know, with minimal periods of shutdown to refuel part of the plant. Interesting. So when current, you know, even I guess the the main ways I, I think of generating energy, right. uh, which beyond, you know, I really, it's not something I think about often. I usually look at the sockets on the wall. I'm like, yeah, the power just lives right. inside the house, you know, but it's being pumped from um, an energy source. Mm-hmm. So it, when they burn fossil fuels or like wind energy, anything, you know, uh, that's pretty much probably the only types on our, our side. I don't know if a lot of um, hydroelectric uh, plants or anything, there might be some. Did, so they, do they store that on battery farms or is it more because you said it's like dependent on the weather. So if, if you have a windmill farm, if the wind stops blowing, like your house doesn't the power doesn't go out, but it's, it's just got a temporary shelf life, basically, maybe to generate that. Or how does that work? Yeah. So if you think about our electric power grid you know, as a whole, um, and really it's divided into a few regions across the country, like three or four regions. And then Texas is its own region. Yeah. Um, essentially all the power produced is consumed immediately. Really? Um, yeah, there's, so there, there is no mass storage of energy on our grid today. Um, so even managing all that is its own complex task mm-hmm. because, you know, out West, transmission lines are really, really long, uh, because the population is so spread out out West, but in the East, you know, the, the power plants are generally closer to the population centers they serve. Um, but in, in essence, the power is being consumed immediately. Wow. When okay. it's produced. Yeah. Uh, with very quick variations in, um, the frequency of the electricity as, you know, people get home from work and, start cooking and doing the dishes and demand goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's one of the factors when you think about, you know, can we replace all fossil fuel plants? Well, you need some ability in the power plant to have, let's say you're always going to stay at some, what they call base load. Um, so, you know, 80% of your power plants need to be operating at max capacity all the time. Then that remaining 20% needs to follow the trend and demand throughout the day. You know, it goes down at night, when mm-hmm. people are sleeping, you don't need as much AC, et cetera. But then, you know, throughout the workday, there's peaks and valleys. So you need plants like nuclear power that are going to run at max capacity all the time because that's when they're most efficient and you know you have a certain amount of power you always need. Mm-hmm. But then you need some other plants that can essentially throttle real time to meet the changing demands of on the grid. That's really interesting. So when that, you know, snowstorm came through Texas and people lost power is because there wasn't that reserve tank there basically, or is that a different setting? Uh, there are a lot of issues. I, that is what happened in Texas is not my expertise. It's a combination of a unique weather event, their unique grid situation, probably some missed opportunities to plan better. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, that's outside my realm of, of expertise, but you know, one, one of the challenges in, thinking about our electricity grid in the future is that fundamental change in demand throughout the day. So you need to be able to throttle how much power you're generating. Gotcha. So it's super interesting to think, because like, honestly, I didn't know that until just now, like they're not really storing up power the way, like I have a bunch of double A's in my closet whenever my video game Uh, controller dies. We don't have that system for general power. We use every day, all day long. Um, You would think, yeah, there'd be a much greater demand for nuclear energy but i think you know humans we don't really think long term a lot of times it's not sexy to plan it's sexier to let the wave hit you and then figure out whose fault it was you know afterwards Uh, so switching over a little bit to to nuclear weapons um you know i think everyone has that idea in their heads like terminator 2 like this mass events and and obviously with what's going on with ukraine and russia uh knowing that you know, Russia's got quite a bit of nuclear weapons. It's a scary thing, and nobody likes to think about it. I, I think I heard that, you know, the United States has like 3,500 nuclear weapons sitting around. So I was curious, one, uh, and we'll go through all these too, is like, yeah. you know, is the risk that great? Um, you know, what does it mean for us? Two, 
is it more dangerous, do you think, for us to even just have these nuclear weapons sitting around? You know, there's a John Oliver special I watched again prepping for this about just like <laughs> the safety regulations we have about holding our weapons. Uh, it's kind of scary. It's almost like having a bunch of, you know, guns loose in the house and nobody, none of them are in safes. It's like it's kind of got that mentality of like you're maybe more likely to hurt ourselves with it. Um, so let's start there. Let's uh, one. Are nuclear weapons the same as they were, you know, when they were the only time they were used in World War II or has it changed? Um, you know, one of the things I heard recently is that I'd always heard that like if it explodes, like, yeah, it's detrimental to those that are in the, the radius of the actual impact. But then there's also the radiation factor that'll creep out over the land. Is that still true? Is that not the case? So there, there's a, a lot in your uh, question yeah, there. Yeah. But we, certainly, we can certainly walk through it. So, uh, Yes, nuclear weapons have evolved a lot since uh, the two that United that the United States dropped on Japan in World War II. Um, so, with that, there's a lot of different ways to to answer your question. Um, so, so I guess first we could talk about the the damage that a, a nuclear weapon does. Um, some of the specific numbers, you know, again, are hard to conceive of, um, and I don't want to inaccurately quote them, but just. It, a lot of the effects come from this otherworldly concentration of of power uh, that is again just hard to compare to conventional explosives or things we've experienced in everyday mm -hmm. life. Um, so just so much energy being released very very quickly in a very very small area. So, so what does that do? You know, when the bomb goes off, you know, there's a, a fireball. You've probably seen pictures, um, this shock waves, um, you know, radiant energy comes out. Like when you're standing around a campfire and you get closer to the fire and it gets yeah. hot, hotter quickly, radiant energy, it's the light coming off the fire. Um, so, you know, a lot of that stuff, uh, combines to do damage in, in different ways. Um, and nuclear weapons have evolved to have a very wide range of explosive power. Um, they're usually referenced in, in terms of equivalent quantity of, of TNT. So kilotons or megatons. So a 10 kiloton bomb, nuclear bomb, is the same explosive power as if you had set off 10,000 tons of TNT. Okay. How they're measured. So to paint a picture of you know, how bad is, is one nuclear bomb, you, you can't really answer that in a straightforward way because you know, the largest nuclear weapon ever tested was uh, one from the Soviet Union called Tsar Bomba. Uh, tested during the Cold oh, War. That sounds cute. That sounds like a really cool Mexican <laughs> right? spot. Sure. Let's go to Zarbamba tonight. But yeah, sounds, okay. But the actual uh, term is is way worse. <laughs> so the the yield, the explosive power, was roughly fifty megatons. So the equivalent of fifty million tons of TNT. Jeez. Largest detonation 50 ever. Fifty million ever. tons. That's, yes. Oh my gosh. The I don't know the actual smallest ever tested. But the U.S. once had a, a weapon in its arsenal um, in the tactical category that was 10 kilotons. No, it's even smaller than that. I wrote the note down somewhere. But the point is, there's literally it's literally a million times smaller than Zara wow. Bomba. Man, wow. So you know, what damage would a nuclear weapon do? It really depends on how big it is. And weapons have existed and some still exist across a very wide range of explosive yeah. power. I think you're right about like at some point, these numbers just fall off into like, there's no way to wrap your mind around it. You know, it's like trying to understand yeah. infinity or something, you know, but it's like, yeah. you know, once you pass over like 10 million tons, it's like all one giant thing, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's insane. And so, you know, the United States, we have our, you know, weapons stored all over the place. Um, one thing I was curious about, I think you already answered that I was going to ask is like, you know, are we at the point now where we have enough other weapons to where like you wouldn't even need, need a nuclear weapon uh, or it would do the exact same amount of damage based on what you said? That's not true. <laughs> nuclear well, weapons are still as scary as they, they should be, maybe. Yes. So I think you part of the, the 
technical answer to, to that question is, yes, there is some overlap between our biggest conventional weapons and our mm-hmm. smallest nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um, and even looking back at history in terms of like damage actually done in cities, uh, in World War II, you know, leading up to the atomic bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the United States was engaging in a strategic firebombing campaign to destroy Japanese cities. Mm-hmm. So dropping this well-crafted combination of, of incendiary fire setting bombs, partly because we knew these cities were largely made out of wood uh, to, to burn them to the ground. And I point that out because we did equivalent or greater damage to multiple Japanese cities via bombing, conventional bombing campaigns compared to uh, the nuclear weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. Now it's it's hundreds of planes dropping thousands of bombs, but in terms of damage, you know, versus one bomb in each of mm-hmm. those cities. So again, very different things. Gotcha. But in terms of equivalent damage done, like yeah, but th- we did that in World War II. It's a it's a pretty fascinating history. So it's it's yeah, obviously okay. So that's a good way of saying it. We're we're able to do that same amount of damage, but not as quickly as one you know 50 million billion whatever the number was <laughs> right um, which is part of the reason it's it's a, a psychological challenge you know hard to wrap your mind around and and easy to fear yeah uh, and and rightfully so um you know true full-scale world nuclear war would be a terrible thing for humanity mm-hmm. at the same time you know you you kind of asked or at least implied in your question you know, are nuclear weapons still needed today mm-hmm. and i meant to look this up uh, to remind myself, but you can look at sort of the history of war, you know, across the centuries and, you know, leading up to world war two, there was something you might call a world war, like every decade and a half or something, something like that, you know, major world powers engaging in, in large scale conflict. But since world war two, that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. It's been what 70, 80 years now. So yes, there's been Vietnam, Korean War, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, and those are their own tragedies worth discussing. But there hasn't been a World War III. Hmm. Part of the reason is the deterrent factor of major powers having nuclear weapons. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like, and I think that's what we're seeing right now with like Ukraine and Russia. It's like Putin knows if he drops one of those nuclear weapons like it's game on and the yeah the impact of the damage that those yeah it brings it to a whole new level of, of risk yeah. and um so i think that's interesting it's like it the, the power of some maybe within the weapons is just the fear factor of them <laughs> just like knowing that they're there um and that keeps everyone at least from engaging in you know world war ii level you know right. wars that's and there's a, there is a lot of smart people who dedicate their career to trying to understand the psychology of nuclear weapons. And if Russia does this, what should our response be? And how do we signal that response to them so that they're aware of the threat, but we also don't want to give away too much about our capabilities and our secrets. Like they have to know we can do it, but not with so much detail that they can counteract it. Um, Yeah. It sounds a lot like what Tucker and I do for a living, which is sales. (laughs) (laughs) understand yeah. what you need but not don't tell them too much of what we're able to do or you know like unless yeah. they can pay for it yeah so there's um yeah there's a lot of factors at play well so coming back a little bit to uh the nuclear energy side of it all um you know i've heard terms like half-life and like radiation the risk can you unpack that a little bit in terms of you know the safety factors you know moving forward let's say you know somebody listening wants to mm-hmm. what what should we think about nuclear energy is it something that we should advocate for um, and, and what should we be aware of and what, what might help us sleep better at night? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, listeners should make an open-minded effort to understand the real track record of nuclear power and to put it in context of other energy production methods. So people have probably heard of the three biggest uh, incidents in commercial nuclear power, Three Mile Island, Mm -hmm. uh, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. You know, all bad incidents, certainly. 
And I don't mean to downplay them, but it's important to highlight that the Three Mile Island incident, there were zero deaths and minimal exposure to no exposure to the public, uh, depending on how you count. Even in Chernobyl, the worst incident in, in global history, 30 people were killed uh, you know, immediately. I think two in the explosion and 28 from the acute radiation exposure. And yes, uh, pretty bad environmental damage. Uh, and you can look at some pretty interesting um, footage of how that area has recovered since mm-hmm. it's been abandoned. Fukushima, no one died from the radiation exposure there. And in a pretty direct comparison, the tsunami killed more than 19,000 people. Mm. So it was a bad nuclear incident as far as nuclear incidents go. But in terms of bad things that happened to society, it wasn't really, it doesn't really even deserve to be in the conversation, you know, mm. compared to the 20,000 people that the tsunami killed at the same right. time. You, you mentioned half-life and other things that I think you're trying to get at, you know, what are the risks? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause so real quick, yeah. so I'm un- under the impression that, you know, it's radiation, it's own, it's like here to stay like it's at least in our lifetimes and so the risks of the nuclear waste which i don't really even know what that is and the fallout and if there is like some kind of oh tragedy or exposure like while they might not be directly you know hit and die in the event of the you know the disruption yeah. things like you know you can get cancer from this kind of stuff like it 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 sits around or does it dissipate like th- that's the t- type of thing I'm i'm curious about like you know are are we playing with fire that we can't put out in, in that sense? And what your thoughts are? Sure. So I'll, uh, let's talk about this in sort of two ways. One, what what is the radiation risk from a, a nuclear power plant? And then two, what does radiation do to you? Yeah. So radiation risks from a nuclear power plant uh, are primarily come from the spent fuel. So in fission power plants, which which all of our plants are today, Neutrons are splitting uranium atoms into two primary pieces. And it's those pieces, those fission products that are highly radioactive, but they decay over time. That's where this half-life term comes in. So again, sorry to pause there. So uh, fission, uh, what is splitting what again? Say that again. Fission is the splitting of the thing, right? So in Mm -hmm. nuclear power, it's the splitting of the uranium atom. The uranium atom, okay. Yep, Uh, uranium-235. And when it splits, it releases energy in the form of heat. Mm -hmm. Fission products, which are highly radioactive, and multiple neutrons and it's and, those neutrons that go on to continue the chain reaction which makes it all gotcha work. and all of that is turning the turbine <laughs> yeah kinda, so it's and, generating heat which generates steam which turns the turbine to make power and so the waste is those so when that uh uranium is split that would mm-hmm. be it's it's lost its usefulness in the terms of generating that energy and what do you right. do with those pieces that are left over from the split is that right right so that again, assuming it's all working properly, stays highly contained in the fuel, right? So it's typically a little ceramic pellet of uranium fuel that's inside, uh, you know, a metal cladding, so a tube. You know, those tubes are all grouped together into an assembly that's inside the core, that's inside the containment building. So multiple layers of protection between you and me and that uranium fuel. Gotcha, okay. And when a given portion of it is is spent, so the your reactor might shut down once a year to replace a third of the core. Yes, those fuel assemblies are, are highly radioactive when they come out, but they decay quickly. So, okay. you know, is radiation a risk forever? Well, yes and no, uh, because the m- most highly radioactive components decay the fastest. Uh, and... I don't remember the exact numbers, but you know, it might come out, the fuel assembly will come out and get stored in a pool of water that's actively cooled at the site for a month. And by that time, it's already five times less radioactive. Oh, okay. So it moves pretty so maybe it's not like, yeah, we're not gonna build a children's playground on top of this stuff, but it's also not creeping down our neighborhoods like looking for us type 
you know, it's not well, that level of fear. Right. Exactly. It's all highly contained, very carefully managed. And yet there is a long-term storage question to this. Um, because yeah, all of the spent fuel today is building up on site at nuclear power plants, but there's just, there's not that much of it, mm. uh, which is why you've probably heard of discussions about long-term storage uh, at Yucca Mountain, which is a facility in, gosh, it's Nevada. Washington. It's embarrassing that I'm not okay. sure about that. Um, that the government spent a lot of money on constructing, <laughs> but was ultimately not approved yeah. uh, because you do need to store it somewhere very long term uh but that spent fuel 20 years from now is orders of magnitude less dangerous than when you immediately pull it out of the reactor interesting oh that okay that's cool um well what else you know should we think about the future i mean because it's it's what it sounds like i mean we look at um you know what fossil fuels can do to an environment, obviously, you know, climate change, all these factors are not that that's like what we're talking about today, but like there's no such thing as no risk energy, I think is what we're getting at. It's like, you know, unless we all decide we don't want to watch Netflix anymore, like <laughs> some, something's going to have to be done. Uh, and it sounds right. to me like nuclear is the best bang for your buck, at, at least in, in terms of the power it can generate the, the amount of, um, you know, work it takes to, to get that there. And then the risks, it sounds like, you know, outside of the big scary events, it's really not, not something we should be afraid of. I agree with you. It's, uh, it certainly deserves to be a part of the clean energy conversation going forward. And I think it is a great option for replacing baseload generation, uh, from fossil fuels. Uh, there are risks they need to be managed. Uh, but like you said, there's risks in all forms of energy generation from the safety of mining the fuel, yeah. uh, the national security implications, right? There's, you know, so solar panels obviously have their place too, but there's some key, you know, specialty metals that go into them that are only found in China or that's where most of them come from. So mm-hmm. do you really want to, sacrifice your national security by relying on China for your clean energy. That, you know, that's a political question. Yeah. Um, and it seems the, you know, the weight of the nuclear discussion brings with it um, a lot more regulations, which is not a bad thing um, in terms of like, let's make sure if we're going to do this, we got to do this right. Yeah. So in terms of like, Oh, Oh no, they're building a nuclear you know reactor near me or a, um, you know, power plant and all that. Kind of, I think we can trust the process to an extent um outside of you know just unavoidable or maybe avoidable but just you know the freak accidents yes and i encourage your audience to get educated you know i personally find it all very fascinating Mm -hmm. and there's some great you know resources out there uh one that might make it easy is next summer uh christopher nolan is releasing a movie called oppenheimer yeah about uh robert robert oppenheimer who's a, a central figure in the manhattan project you know through which um, the United States developed uh, atomic bombs and for the first time. Now that's obviously nuclear weapons focused, um, but it's it's a fascinating subject. There are good resources out there, and I encourage everyone to put what you learn about nuclear power in the context of other generation methods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coal, even ignoring climate change, which I know is a big if coal is more dangerous and more people die mining coal and operating those plants, uh, and from sort of direct pollution impacts than, than nuclear power pills. Yeah. Um, so it certainly deserves to be a part of the future. And I think as the industry expands or if it does, uh, costs will come down, right? If you build something once every 30 years, it's going to be expensive to build, but yeah, if you're doing it once every five years, volume is going to drive costs out. Yeah. that's a lot of people's methods with having kids like, let's do this (laughs) once every five years we can recoup. Uh, no, I think it makes sense. And like you said, like with coal, it's like, there's, there's only so much coal in the ground, you know, at some point, um, my view is that like, 
people don't really like we were saying like they're not super proactive but then when the time comes we got to figure something out like they can move pretty quickly so hopefully it doesn't come to that hopefully we are um proactive and we get ahead of the game um it sounds like nuclear energy is picking up some steam little pun for you there <laughs> Um, and we'll see if it, they start developing a little bit more. Um, do you know of any other projects outside of that one that was just completed in Georgia? Uh, well, there's a second new plant under construction at the same site in Georgia. I'm not sure what other plants are active in the United States or, you know, under construction or development. Um, but I get the general sense you, again, through seeing some headlines that it is, growing as a part of the conversation about our clean energy future yeah one final question uh when it comes to energy is every country and basically every area of a country responsible for generating its own energy or is it something that's like we can export it in any way are there really long extension cords going (laughs) across state lines or is it something like yeah pretty much every city and state has their own uh you know energy production attempts in a fundamental sense, you could say every country is responsible for its own electrical power. And also, energy is a global market, right? Part of the reason the Russia-Ukraine situation is complicated is because Russia supplies a lot of natural gas to Europe. So they're providing the gas that allows them to generate the electricity in their... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, to put gotcha. in a, into a gas turbine, uh, which gotcha. is a, a common method where you're not generating steam, but it's like it's like a j- giant jet engine where gotcha. you're still gotcha. spinning spinning that shaft to generate power. So everybody, basically, everyone's responsible for their own car, but how we get the fuel to run those cars is dependent on international affairs and that kind of thing. Yes, that's a pretty good metaphor. And another reason to consider nuclear power is if you reduce reliance on fossil fuels you increase your energy independence there you go well this is super fascinating i guarantee you there's been more than one person that says oh turbines that's how they make energy like (laughs) it's just not something you think about you know reminds me of that seinfeld episode he's like what are you going to do with this when they're moving the frogger machine he's like what are you going to do by the power outlet and the electrician's like what oh the holes you know that's kind of like what we think about that's about as far as we we get with with understanding the stuff so i appreciate you coming on Uh, i find it super super fascinating um and uh yeah i'm gonna try to understand it a little bit more as well so if you get any good uh stuff we can throw it up in the podcast episode links you want to send me some um stuff that might be extra fun reading outside of this podcast yeah my pleasure it was great to chat with you today